Hi, this is ESPN's Dave Lamont, and you're listening to the Sports Objective Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates. You're listening to 50 Pirates in 50 Days on the Sports Objective Podcast. Between now and the Pirates' scheduled season opener on August 29th against Marshall, we will take a daily trip down memory lane as we will talk to former East Carolina football players about their path to ECU, their time in the purple and gold, and what they're up to now. Now let's talk Pirate football. Welcome into the Sports Objective. 50 Pirates in 50 days as we give that to you as we're counting down the days to the football season here in 2020. And uh, right now, of course, we have Bubba Rosenbaum. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Dave. It was the first day back to school, uh, optional teacher work day. So it's been been a long day, but uh, a good one. You mean you actually work? You're working again? Wow. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> For people that don't know, I'm joking with Bubba giving him a hard time. He's a teacher. And with all the craziness going on with COVID-19, uh, he's had to work from home and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, but uh, he and his wife, Stacy work really hard, and uh, I'm proud of all our teachers, for sure. Uh, Bubba, we've got a very special guest, 50 Pirates in 50 Days, right? Yeah, we do. We're catching up with a guy from the mid-'90s, and the Pirates obviously had so much success uh, during those years, uh, going to a couple of Liberty Bowls, also that eight-win season in 1996. Welcome into the program, a guy who played on the defensive side of the ball, Matt Semenza. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. I'm really happy to be here with you. Um, Always love love talking Pirates football. I don't get too many opportunities up here in Connecticut to, to talk Pirates football, so I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Well, out of the gate, I do have one question, uh, not Pirate football related. Uh, what are your thoughts on UConn not having a football season? How, how are local people taking that out of the gate? I'll ask you that. Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's pretty devastating for the local com- community. Um, I have several friends up here that are UConn graduates, Um The program is just not in great shape, to be perfectly honest. Um, When they left the conference, you know, by leaving the American conference, uh, they became an independent and it left them exposed. And it must be very difficult to schedule, um, you know, in this day and age. And then you throw in the situation with COVID and it must be near impossible as an independent, um, unless you're Notre Dame, of course. So pretty devastating situation. You know, when you live in, in Connecticut, we don't have any professional sports teams here. So it's really UConn. So um, it's a pretty big blow to uh, the people of this state. No question about it. With uh, let's talk COVID. How are you handling that COVID? And then we were just talking about this, and I'll get I'll add to what we were talking about. But you guys had the uh, obviously the storm, and those of us in the, on the East Coast and the and our particular case, the Southeast, uh, we hear about our, our area. But you guys got hit too, right? Yeah, we did. Um, you know, typically Connecticut tends to avoid these these major storms. But for some reason, this storm really affected us pretty badly here. Um, you know, I live in Middletown, Connecticut, and our town in particular really got got hit pretty hard. Lots of downed trees and power lines. I'm still without power, um, you know, a few days later, which is never a fun experience. So just hoping that we can get it, get it together here and get the power back, you know, within the next 24 hours. Um, but it's been it's been a pretty difficult couple of days here. All right. Uh, well, Bubba, I guess I thought he was going to ask a question, but uh, he must have it on mute and not realize it. But Matt, as far as uh, 
we talk about COVID-19 and uh, the like. How are you handling uh, that with, uh, I know with all the, uh, obviously I'm in my living room right now, but I always, this I was <laughs> stopped at a gas station yesterday. I'll tell myself now, and I had to use the bathroom really bad. And I got to the door and realized, oh my God, I don't have my mask. I had to walk all the way back to my vehicle, all the way back in. But it's, uh, I'm trying so hard being, uh, working in with COVID-19 myself, um, my day job. And then, uh, with that, but how, how are you guys making it there in, uh, in Yukon? Uh, well, not Yukon, but in Connecticut rather. Well, I'll tell you, it's been very difficult. Um, I have two, uh, young kids and, um, it's been tough on them, you know, in particular to be at home for this, this, uh, longer period of time. Um, it's been tough on work, you know, just like it's affected so many people around the country. Um, so it's been a very difficult situation. Um, we did start baseball here in Connecticut for my son about a month ago, which is, which is great because it really gets the kids engaged again. It gets them, you know, participating in athletics, which I think is really important for, for, for the kids. Um, and my daughter started her dance again. So it's, it's nice to kind of get things going again. We're moving in the right direction. The state in general is actually doing as well as any state in the country, believe it or not. We have, I think right now we have under 60 people hospitalized. Um, at one wow. point we were close to 3,000. So the state wow. is doing fantastic. But I think, you know, we're all just hoping for normalcy, um, as soon as possible. And most importantly, I really want to have a college football season. Um, so, so hopefully we can, you know, uh, hopefully this virus will, will go away soon enough. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll certainly talk more about that later on as far as the 2020 football season and the prospects for the Pirates, but kind of shifting gears a little bit, take us back to the early nineties. I know, um, you were at East Carolina from 94 to 97, but just talk about your recruitment and how you ended up being a Pirate. Absolutely, Bubba. Um, so at that time, ECU was recruiting New Jersey pretty hard. I, I was born and raised in New Jersey, um, and ECU recruited Jersey pretty hard. I'm sure you guys will remember, uh, obviously, the, you know, some of the big names. Scott Harley, for one, he was in my class. Um, I actually played against Scott in high school. He was right down the road at Neptune. Um, Dan Gonzalez, uh, who was actually Scott's teammate uh, from New Jersey. And uh, there were several other guys that came in. During that time frame. So um, at that point, um, Doug Martin was recruiting New Jersey, who I'm sure you guys remember. Um, he's now a head coach at New Mexico. Um, and he's had he's had quite a career. Um, so Doug actually was recruiting New Jersey and he came up and, um, you know, recruited me. And at that time, I really, to be honest, I wasn't too familiar with ECU growing up in New Jersey. Um, but I had heard great things. And I knew that a few years prior, that's when they had their dream season. Uh, I think they finished number eight in the country. Um, so that piqued my interest. And then I went down on a recruiting trip with my family um, and absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, loved the campus, loved the atmosphere, um, you know, really enjoyed the program and wanted to be a part of it. Um, and it was a great decision. I'm happy it worked out that way. So before we talk about your time as a pirate, uh, talk a little about your your high school career and uh, did you play anything besides football? I did. I um, I played basketball as well and I also ran track through the javelin. Um, so I was pretty busy all year long. Basketball actually was my my true love um, growing up. Uh, absolutely loved basketball, but it just kind of worked out that football 
you know, I, I didn't grow to be six, six or six, seven. So football was the, uh, the avenue for me. Um, but yeah, I played sports all year round. I'm a big, uh, advocate of, of, you know, kids playing, you know, more than one sport. Um, so, um, yeah, as many as possible. Yeah, specialization is something I certainly do not believe in. Uh, it happens far too much uh, nowadays, and I do think there's a time for it, but um, when, when kids are young, they need to play everything they want to play, everything they're interested in. I totally agree with that. You know, you see so much special specialization now, and you'll see some kids that just play, you know, soccer all year long or baseball, baseball all year long. And, you know, and from high school, some of those kids are burned out, so – you know, I'm a big believer in, in, you know, hey, when you're young, if you want to play soccer, you play soccer. If you want to play football, you play football. And, you know, you try it all and you see what you really like. And then at some point, you know, you need to whittle it down to maybe two. Um, but I, I, I am a big, uh, big believer in that. And kids and parents are, are uh, having to make decisions that they shouldn't have to make uh, sometimes. Um, but because of that, they're, they're feeling pressure from different angles and, uh, and that's something that, especially at an age, you know, like eight, nine, ten years old, that shouldn't be happening. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You have to let kids be kids and let them find their own way. So um, I, I agree with that. There's a little too much pressure on these kids nowadays that we I don't think we had that when we were growing up, you know, back in the 80s. I think it's just so much different now. Um, you know, we would play town sports and rec sports. Now everything is AAU based. It's all travel based, um, you know, big money to participate. And is, with that comes more pressure. So it's just it's just a very different world. And you see that in high school athletics now where, you know, high school basketball players in particular, their their main attraction is AAU, really, oftentimes versus their high school team. Right. And you a moment ago, you referenced Scott Harley and Dan Gonzalez, of course, being out of Neptune uh, now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you you probably recall uh, Luke Fisher, wasn't he from New Jersey as well? I, yes, Luke actually was. I think he was from South Jersey. I he actually was before me though, um, so I don't recall the town he was from. Um, but he was actually, I think he graduated the year before I came in. But he yeah. was a Jersey guy. Lot, lots of Jersey guys came through the program. Yeah, Luke Fisher. He was he was 87 to 91, but uh, e even though he was two or three years ahead of you, I, f I figured that you were familiar with him. Absolutely. I remember Luke from, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he had the winning touchdown catch in the Peach Bowl, correct? Right. And, and he had about, I think, 12 catches that day. It was a career day for him in more ways than one. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. So uh, talking about your recruitment a little more, uh, give us a – glimpse behind the scenes what was coach logan like on the recruiting trail back there in the early 90s i guess that was year year three for him in 1994 yeah that's a good question the funny thing about coach logan was he was a very straight shooter um you know he was basically going to tell you exactly how it was there was no uh sugarcoating anything like in terms of hey if you come to ecu you're going to start from day one you know there, there was none of that it was you're going to come to ecu and you're going to work hard and, you know, you're going to put the time in, you're going to put the work in and you're going to get your opportunity at some point. But, you know, there was no there were no false promises. He was always a very straight shooter, um, which kind of took me a little bit by surprise because we had talked about some other schools that were recruiting me. He said, no, I'm 
I'm not going to recruit against those schools. He's like, if you want to come to ECU, then we're not going to recruit against them. He said, you know, th- this is the place to be. And he just kind of put it out there. He was, you know, he didn't, he was not one to hold back his words, as you guys know very well. Absolutely. Yeah, I worked, I worked with him some on the, uh, Bubba, Bubba knows I've worked with him and I, I always talk about this. I love Coach Logan. So he's all, always got a special place in my heart. I'm being excited. And he, he was the coach when I was there at East Carolina. So, um, he will always have a special place in my heart there. But the funny thing about Coach Logan, and I think I've told the story. If I haven't, um, I'll tell it. If I, if people didn't hear it, they can hear me now. Uh, I'll tell it. But basically when we were doing the radio show with uh, Coach Logan in the late night, middle to late nineties, he always was great behind the scenes and joked around. And, and as soon as that red light came on and it said on air, it was like John Wayne. It was like this, uh, the, his eyes turned, were different. And, uh, if it pirate, our good friend Alan Powell, pirate Al that comes on our show, he would call in and different ones, Kyle from LaGrange or different people. Um, and it was funny because he would all, he go, he would be joking around. All of a sudden and somebody would ask him a question. He goes, I don't know. I don't know. Al, what do you, and he was like, I was like, wow, that's a complete contrast of the public persona of Steve Logan, which is behind the scenes. And now that he has a radio show, he is like the real Steve Logan everybody gets to see. So I was going to ask you, Matt, um, a nice segue there. Is that something that did you guys see the funny? You know what? Occasionally, and the serious side, serious side with practice. Yeah, I mean, ninety nine percent of the time it was the serious side back, back then. Like he was in the prime of his career as a head coach, and he was trying to win games. And you know, he was he was all about winning. I mean, you know, he did some great things at East Carolina, but he was all about winning. And um, yeah. yeah, sure, he would have he would have his moments where he would joke around and. Um, you know, and, and, but I think, you know, being on the defensive side of the ball, I spent a little less time with him. He was primarily with the offensive guys. Um, and every now and then his sense of humor would come out, but he was, he was business. He was about winning and, um, and working hard. So, but I, but yeah, I, I have heard his radio show and I do, it's funny. I, I see a different, uh, personality there. Right. He's obviously known for his Loganisms or his one-liners, and I was watching something, uh, I guess it was last night, uh, had uh, an interview with uh, Jeff Cars from the 99 season, and he was mm-hmm. just talking about, talking about Coach Logan's one-liners. So I know I'm putting you on the spot here, Matt, but do you recall any one-liners from Coach Logan's for, or from your time uh, that Coach Logan may have said? Well, I couldn't repeat them on this show. You know, the ones in practice, you know, I, 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 I couldn't repeat them. I don't want to get you guys in trouble, but there were some uh, some interesting ones. Um, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything in particular um, and any particular lines, um, you know, that, that he would come out with. But there were quite a few um, that he would throw out there. So sorry, I'm, I'm on the spot here. I can't think of any uh, in particular, but um, he was never he was never one to. Um, you know, to uh, not have strong, a strong message and strong opinion. That's for sure. So coming in in 1994, uh, a lot of guys, especially in the trenches like that red shirt, but you, however, did not. Um, I know we had some injuries. Um, actually, uh, I sent you earlier today on the Coach Logan show after that 1994 South Carolina game, and I just watched a little bit of it, and he was talking about how Walter Scott and Willie Brookins were out with injuries for several weeks. Uh, so just talk about that chance you got to play early. 
Yeah, you know, that was, um, you know, that was that was something that, um, you know, I came in, I was really young. I, I think I played my first college game at 17 against Duke. Um, I was very young. Um, I had the, the mentality to play, but honestly, physically, I, w- I was a little light. Um, but we were in a situation that year where um, I was actually Morris Foreman's primary backup. Um, so for my first two years, I was backing up uh, Morris, who you guys know very well, you know, an all-time pirate. Um, and we had some injuries that year and I was sort of in a situation where I was, you know, I had to get out there and play and, um, you know, really primarily, um, mostly because of depth, you know, reasons like you see oftentimes in college football. So, um, I had a chance to play early, um, you know, a lot of special teams my first year and, and, uh, as a backup on defense, um, and, um, you know, injuries are, are, you know, unfortunately, a big part of it. But one thing about that team and our coaching staff and, uh, you know, having Coach Connors, too, who um, always had us ready to go. And we were able to sort of work through those injuries. And, and it was next man up. So uh, Walter Scott was a great player. You can never replace a Walter Scott. But um, that's the mentality we had. It was next man up. And if somebody went down, um, you know, you just keep rolling with it. So that 94 season, um, Pirates really turned a corner under Coach Logan, getting back to a bowl game after after um, a couple of losing seasons in his first two years at the helm, one of which Marcus Crandall uh, went down a couple games into the season in uh, 93 against UCF. So um, just talk about what are your memories of that season, um, being a true freshman in Division One college football. I know um, we went down to Auburn. Those guys had something like a twenty or twenty-two game win streak, and uh, we gave yep. them everything. Gave, gave them everything they wanted. Had that fifty-six forty-two win at South Carolina, and some uh, really good moments. Yeah, that was an interesting year. Uh, we went seven and five, um, and we really had an opportunity to to win nine games. I mean, we were pretty close in a few other games there, so that team was close. But it was sort of early on in its progression. Um, but it was a it was a great year. In particular, that Auburn game is one of my favorite memories from college football. Um, I think they were number three in the country when we went down there. And um, Stephen Davis, you guys remember Stephen Davis played for the Redskins for a long time. He was the running back, and he was he was a big boy at running back. He was probably two hundred and forty pounds. Um, and uh, you know that that was a great memory. There, were, I I remember there were about eighty five thousand people, and you're coming out of the tunnel. And you see the, the eagle, the war eagle, and uh, it's flying around the stadium and and the child that the crowd is chanting tiger meat, you know, 85,000 people chanting tiger meat. And I specifically remember that. And uh, what a rush. That's all I can say. It was a great rush. Fantastic memory. Um, and we played really well that day. We had opportunities, a few things we just didn't capitalize on, but it was a, a closer game than, than most people expected. Yeah, it really was. And. It was some of your former teammates, maybe it was the Hart Twins and also maybe Marvin Burke, uh, who we've had on the program, and they were talking about their memories. I'd actually forgotten about this. Um, Coach Logan was pretty animated. Um, maybe, um, I don't know, Terry Bowden trying to stretch it out a little bit there at the end, cover the spread or make it look not as close uh, like you were saying. Um, but do you, do you recall that? I, I don't think uh, Coach Logan and, and Terry Bowden shook hands after that one. <laughs> well, I can definitely see the competitive side of Coach Logan not appreciating that. You know, I think 
You know, my, my guess looking back on it is they were number three in the country and they were trying to win some style points there and probably did some things they shouldn't have uh, in those final moments. And I, and I, you know, I'm sure coach Logan didn't appreciate it. I'm sure none of our coaches did. Um, so, um, but yeah, the, the game was closer than it appeared. And, uh, you know, even though we didn't pull it out, that was, uh, it was a proud feeling we had of the team to go in there and compete really hard. Um, and then we had some other opportunities that year where we were very close. You mentioned the South Carolina game. That was an offensive explosion. Um, Junior Smith, if I recall, went nuts. Marcus Crandall went nuts. Um, Larry Shannon and, 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 uh, I think Mitch Galloway had some long touchdowns. So that, that was an explosion of offense. Um, and a fun game. I remember that really well. Yeah, Mitch Galloway, he was from down there um, in Bennettsville, South Carolina. So I know how that how sweet that was for him to go into williams Bryce Stadium and, and have uh, what may have been a career day at that point. I'll tell you guys, Mitch, Mitch Galloway was the toughest guy I've ever had to cover one-on-one in my life. Um, in the slot, so where I played linebacker, he was, he was always lined up in a slot. And um, oftentimes I would spread out and, and, and line up, you know, over the slot receiver. Um, and in practice, he was so quick. Um, and if, I think a very underrated ECU receiver, but he was so quick in and out of his cuts. Um, he was in, in a one-on-one situation against a linebacker, very, very difficult to cover. Um, so he, he was a great, great player. Um, you know, and sometimes in practice he would joke around and say, you know, this is where I'm going. And and he was just so quick. You just couldn't even if you knew you, you couldn't even keep up with the guy. He was he was just, uh, you know, a special talent. Out there. Yeah, he really was. And uh, so Coach Logan was obviously so good at identifying a way to create a mismatch. And I, I remember when he would put Mitch Galloway, uh, whether it was the 96 game against Miami or also that 96 game against NC State in Charlotte, he would line Mitch up beside either uh, Marcus in the event of the Miami game or uh, also Danny against um, NC State. And like you're saying, uh, he would get him one-on-one with the linebacker and the linebacker had no chance. Yeah, that's that's game over right there. That's not, that's not happening. Um, so I'm sure I'm sure that's a matchup we were, we were trying to get often. And then sure. you throw in some of the other guys we had out there. I mean, you know, we had some real speed guys, guys like Jarris McPhail, who was a 4-4-40 guy. Uh, maybe even four three, uh, um, but we had some speed guys. Um, we had some shifty guys, and uh, you know, a lot of guys that were maybe passed up on by other schools that had amazing careers uh, at East Carolina. You know, Matt, that was the thing I was going to talk about. Is the you guys were there was a lot of talent on that team. There was a lot of winners on that team, and talk about how close you guys were because it seemed like. That that time of, I know that it's because Logan built, you know, the culture and all that, but you guys seem to be during that middle to late nineties, a well old machine. Yeah, I think that was a pretty special time. And, you know, my favorite part of playing on those teams, um, was the mentality that they had. The mentality that we had was, you know, regardless of where we were playing or who we were playing or whatever the spread was, the mentality was to win. The mentality was to go win and take care of business. And nobody on that team backed down from a challenge. That was kind of instilled in us um, from our coaching staff. You know, I, I, was, I always give Coach Connors a lot of credit. Um, he, was, he was, you know, really tough on us, but he instilled that, 
mentality. And, you know, the great thing about those teams was regardless of who you play, you go into Auburn, you go into Tennessee, you go into the Orange Bowl, um, the expectation was to win. And, uh, and oftentimes we did. And um, so it was a lot of fun. Like I said, it was a special time in the history of the program, those, those three or four years there. Um, you know, certainly some good memories, yeah. And the great thing of Coach Slogan, he always reminded people about the national media or local media <laughs> during that time about how great you guys were. And he he would uh, – what was that game bubble we were watching? You showed us that clip of uh, where he got on the person, one of the media, talking about how many wins that, you know, our guys have had. We were watching that several weeks ago. I was trying to remember, but he was talking in that very thing. Yeah, I'm trying to recall. It was late. It was middle to late nineties. But anyway, you guys, uh, for Coach Logan, uh, I think, uh, Coach has what, 56 wins, Bubba? It's the whole time he's number one on the list, uh, with 56 wins. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. We, it's, uh, we, it's something like that. It's there in, there in the low fifties. I'll tell you guys, it was nothing better than when you put on ESPN and, and, you know, the pundits were, were saying you had no chance or you were a big underdog. And uh, that was something that that team embraced. You know, that was actually a good thing for us, I think, as a team, because, you know, if you said, you know, to some of the guys, hey, you know, if there's a, a Lee Corso or, or somebody like that on ESPN who's saying, hey, the Pirates are going into the Orange Bowl, they're a 17-point dog, they have no chance to win this game, you know, that, that was just something that motivated that group of guys. And that's something that I'm hoping our guys today on the, on these teams today can embrace because they're going to be underdogs quite a bit. I think for one more year, I still think, you know, maybe for one more year, they're going to be in that underdog type role. Um, but I hope that they embrace that because that's, there's nothing better than being the dog when everybody counts you out and then you go in and you take care of business and you win. Again. No question about it. Speaking of dogs, there's our dog is Kyle from the Grange. What's going on, guys? Hey, what's up, man? Hey Kyle, how you doing? I'm doing, man. I'm doing. Yeah, we're uh, talking to Matt Semenza here. For those of you that are just joining us here with 50 Pirates in 50 Days, uh, Logan era uh, with Matt and uh, Matt with. Uh, let's talk about some of the um, your coaches uh, as far as position coaches. Uh, I, one of the guys I loved uh, what all those guys are in there, but uh, James Webster had. I know that uh, I was working with Henry Hinton at the time, and he he told James. Uh, he came, I think it was a Brian Bailey show. He came one night and he said, man, you can do radio. Your voice is so deep, but he, uh, he had a great voice. I remember that. He did have a deep voice. You definitely couldn't miss him on the practice field when he was yelling at you. I, I can tell you that for sure. Also, let's talk about what the fall camp uh, that just started uh, the end of last week. Talk about the, can you talk about the practices? Uh, how tough were they under Logan? Very tough. You know, at that time, you could have three a days, um, you know, and we would so we would have three practices a day with a weight room session in between and then film room study early in the morning and then after. So you're talking about some really long days. And like I always joke around they talk about the Junction Boys and Bear Bryant. They had nothing on, on those teams. I can tell you that like three a days in that North Carolina heat with weight room in between was brutal. Um, obviously, you can't do that anymore for safety reasons, but back then it was it was a little different. I'll tell you guys, I can recall one player in particular who lost 14 pounds of water weight in one day um, on, a, on a very hot three-a-day 
day. So um, was that it you? was tough. It was not me, thank God. It was not okay. me, thank God. But uh, it was definitely, um, you know, a different different mentality. The NCAA allowed you to do more back then. It's a lot more regulated now. Um, but it, but after those days, uh, you you knew you were in, you know, you knew you were in a battle um, for sure. So and th- those teams were always prepared to play. I think as a result of that, um, you know, when that season opener came around, those teams were ready to go. Yeah, joining late. I know you you played under Logan. What years? So I was there for '94 through '97. Okay. So, so both Liberty the, Bowls, the great years. Yeah, both Liberty Bowls and the '96 season where we should have been in a bowl. And, uh, yeah, yeah well, exactly. A lot of great wins. Hey Kyle, ask him about your one of your favorite exactly. games. Exactly. The one that Matt as well is trying to get his hands on that Wake Forest game in '97. Oh, you're trying to get your hands on that one, too? Yes, uh, the, the 1997 game, Wake Forest, East Carolina. Uh, I was unable to go to that game, and uh, it was televised by Fox Sports South, and we did not have Fox Sports South yet where I lived. We still had HTS, Home Team Sports. Um, yep, sure did. And uh, so I didn't get to see the game because I wasn't there, and I didn't have Fox Sports South, so I listened to it. And it was the first ACC opponent to come to Dottie Pickland since the 60s. So uh, what are your memories of that Wake Forest game? And if you get your hands on it, please let me know. <laughs> yeah, that, that game was tough. Um, we were – my memory is we were down in the fourth quarter. Um, I think Rod Coleman had a strip sack, a big strip sack, which led to a quick turnaround score. I think I think we recovered the ball maybe inside their 15-yard line, and one or two plays later we scored – um, and I'm not sure if that was the go-ahead touchdown or not, but I know we were down pretty big in the fourth quarter and we came back. We were very sloppy in the first half. We had some turnovers, um, made some mistakes. Um, but in the fourth quarter, I just remember the team really, you know, turned it on. Like I said, that strip sack Rod had um, really turned the game around. It was a big play, and we were able to get the win. I think we won by one point, if I recall. Yeah, I remember that game. Ball. Yeah, I, think I remember that game because it was – yeah, I was just going to say, I remember that game very well because that was uh, the opponent we played the very first game of Ficklin Stadium was Wake Forest, and they were making a big deal about how, like Bubba said, it had been a long, I guess that had been the, that was the um, first time, was it the first time the ACC opponent since that time? It had been a long time, right? Yeah, that's what Kyle was saying a moment ago. Yeah, yeah. And I remember the media talking about that, and, uh, just, uh, being a young kid, barely, I was brand new to radio only a year at that time. And I used to have to take a tape recorder called a Marantz and I would have to run down from the press box to the, to the press conference and record it, talk to some players and run it back up to the press box, the double wide in the sky as it's, uh, affection was affectionately known. And, um, but I remember the media, the reason I brought that up is I remember the media making a big deal about how about the ACC and how they hadn't played there, Wake Forest being the first opponent and how the Pirates had uh, battled their way back. It was a really cool game and uh, a very special day. And uh, especially for a young broadcaster like myself, I really enjoyed that that game. Yeah, it was, it was a fun day. And the ACC hates to come to Dowdy Ficklin. Uh, yeah, I, wish we, I wish we could get him there more often. I do. And and also, since you mentioned it, Dave, thank God the uh, the, the, the double wide trailer in the sky is officially gone. That was I, don't nice that. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. We wasted a lot of money on that on that uh, press box. 
Yeah. Well, well that certainly looks good. Well, that's the yeah. thing. It didn't have to, uh, like Kyle's saying, it didn't necessarily have to be 67 or $68 million, but we could have, it certainly, um, like, like you're saying, Matt, uh, needed to be replaced. It, I just wish it would have been replaced, you know, maybe 40, 45, 50 million where we could have used some of that other 20 million or so to have a very nice indoor practice facility and a training table. Well, we can have that. It's, uh, it's a matter of putting the plan out there, say we're going to have it, and then people will start donating money. At some point, we can't wait. If we wait 30 years to pay that uh, press box off, then, um, then it'll be probably 10 or 15 more items before we've got to find a way to literally sometimes, you know, guys, you got to find a way to make it happen. You know, if it's, if my kids need the braces or they need anything, I make it happen even when I don't have the money. So sometimes you have to make things happen, guys. Uh, stick around. Don't want to involve our guests in the, the discussion, uh, for, for our round table afterwards. Cause, but, uh, just, just stick around listeners. Why can't Matt stay? Oh, Matt can stay. I just don't. I just didn't. I, I didn't want to make him guilty by association. <laughs> that's up to him. That's up to him. It's all good, guys. I mean, uh, yeah. I, to be honest, I think that the way college athletics is going, there needs to be such an emphasis on on um, amenities for these players now. So, you know, I think I think that that should have been a bigger focus. To be perfectly honest, I, I you know, I'll be I'll be very honest about that. You know, focus on the players and that indoor practice facility is a must. We have to have it. Um, in Eastern North Carolina, you have to have that. So, so there you go. That's my opinion on it. So, yeah, I remember uh, two you years ago. With, right. Yeah, actually, the thing's been three years ago now. It was 2017. Uh, Moe's, that would have been uh, Coach Montgomery's second season. There was nine afternoons in this time of the year for the fall camp, nine, where there was an afternoon storm that they couldn't practice. So for yep. people that act like it's not like we're trying to give luxury items for Players, these are, I mean, we live in a time where we have social media, where we can broadcast on social media, where people are, these players are even more educated because they have more resources, more things. And when they see that you have an indoor practice facility, when they see all the amenities, um, we may not be Clemson or Alabama like some people, but we're still big time. And I hope that hopefully people will, in our administration and certainly uh, coaches, everyone will treat us like we're big time. That's the way I feel. No, that. Yeah, no doubt we are. Um, not to harp on the press box, but uh, it's just, you know, it's a shame that our previous administration was so worried about uh, pleasing certain alumni and, uh, you know, the way things appeared and just wasted money on something that could have been done for $20 million, did it for $65 million. And, uh, you know, the, that money, like Bubba said, could have went to an indoor practice facility. Uh, the training table, to me, you know, we're almost there. We have a nutritionist or nutritionist, however you say it. <laughs> we have somebody to provide meals for the team now. But uh, it's yeah. cookout for me. So, <laughs> well, I, I, for me personally, the uh, that very thing is that we have to look at when that that press box was built in '78, and they put a um, uh, towards the end of Pat Dye's career, and they're at the with the Pirates, and they put a new scoreboard up that stayed up there for a million years. But they, it took them 40 years to replace that press box. That's the problem is they've waited way too long to replace the press box. And so what happened is they were kind of caught behind the eight ball of the cost of it. And then they did a bad job of, they did a bad job of, um, of having where the two, 
too many things. And uh, where, like Bubba said, they could have had it way cheaper. And by the way, uh, Memphis, they they had an indoor practice facility they've just built for only eight million dollars. So it can be done really wow. nice. Um, it doesn't have to be thirty, forty million. That would be nice, but at least to have something there. Um, something's better than nothing, especially if you go ahead and tell right now, all we have for our football team and basketball team, especially is hope. And if we got to sell the future and if you, you can't right now, people aren't going to give money, uh, right now until they, it's kind of like a wait and see for people. It's a matter of trust and they don't trust. And so the way that they, will trust do, them, Dave. we don't even have anybody running the park club. Yeah. Or a chancellor right now. So hopefully we'll have those two positions, uh, filled. Um, here sometime in 2020. I know it's COVID. We've got a lot of, that's the bad thing is we had seven years, six, seven years of tough times. And then we had COVID-19 in the back, the, like to hit us in the spring. So you've had a lot. Uh, we are pirates and we're, we have the different storms and hopefully, um, hopefully we can get through this one. It's been a tough time. Uh, but certainly one thing, uh, Matt, that you know very well is, is about winning. And that I know that helps uh, certainly with a lot of things. People will start giving once uh, Coach Houston's um, next third season, like you said, or it was uh, cool that you said that earlier. The third season's when things are going to really start rocking for Mike Houston and staff. Yeah, I'll tell you, I, I am I, I'm a big believer in Mike Houston. I really like what he's doing with the program. If you look at the roster, just compared to a year ago, to where we were, the size difference is it's like night and day. I mean, he's done a great job bringing in some big bodies on the O-line and the D-line. Um, you know, the, the previous administration, we, we really, when, when Mike Houston came into this program, there was no depth to speak of. I mean, let's, let's face it, there was no depth to speak of. We were very thin on both lines. Um, so I love his focus and that he prioritized bringing in some big bodies that can really play. I think that was the most important thing he had to do. Um, I really like the coaching staff he's put together. I'm a big fan of Donnie Kirkpatrick. Um, I really think the future is bright. Looking at this year, you know, I, I read all the sports magazines, and and we might not be at the point where we're going to win a ton of games, but I can tell you guys this. I'm very confident. We're going to score a ton of points this year. We're going to score a ton of points. We might give up a lot of points. I think we're about a year away on the defensive side of the ball, but we're going to score a lot of points. Um, and I'll tell you, if you look at – the little stat I, I looked at last night, if you look at the first five games of the season last year, and let's let's throw away Gardner-Webb, okay? Let's just take them out of the equation, but we averaged 15.2 points for the first five games. If you look at the last six, we averaged 32.8. So Holton started to mature. Donnie Kirkpatrick started to get that offense rolling. He started to learn who his weapons were. And I think this year you're going to see a continuation of that. I expect some big things from the offense. That's an excellent point, Matt. And uh, I remember seeing those numbers myself last year. And the thing about it is the schedule at the beginning of the season, yeah, we played NC State, who ended up uh, not not being particularly good themselves. Um, but like you're saying, um, th those numbers we put up uh, over twice as many points in the, the final seven, seven games of the season, and it's against much better competition. Sure was. That game against UCF Cincinnati, which is a game we should have won. That game, we had it. We really had that game. I felt like that was a tough loss. I think we put up, what, 51 on SMU down in Dallas. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, we gave up 58. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, you could see the, the production. 
And you could see Holton becoming more and more comfortable as the season went on um, in that offense and some of the young receivers. Um, I really like some of the young receivers. We have guys like Snead, and I think Hatfield has a lot of explosion. You know, C.J. Johnson, um, I think we have a lot of weapons there um, to work with. So I I think – I really feel like this year there's going to be some fireworks. Um, You know, God willing, we have a season. So we'll see. Yeah, and uh, it looks like uh, with everything – looks like everything's going to be pushed back. So we'll see about that, about uh, maybe uh, September the 12th for the first game against Marshall. We'll see about how that plays out. But um, things are not – I agree with Kyle. I know, Kyle, you've said for a long time, which I agree with you, uh, the things were going to be pushed back, and and I, I feel like well, they yeah, were... I think they're going to be pushed back to the twelfth because um, you know I, I'm waiting for uh, the UNC schools to approach um, King Cooper about uh, allowing uh, uh, games to be played without fans. You know, right now 25 people is the most that can be in a gathering out in public, so we would need to get a provision to play football games without fans prior to the twelfth. While we're still in phase two, um, and I'm assuming that is going to happen. I'm assuming all the UNC schools are going to get together. UNC system schools are going to get together, and that provision will be passed. Um, but, you know, you, you, as you look today at um, Navy announcing a Labor Day weekend game with BYU, and you look at Tulane and Southern Miss announced that they've scheduled uh, a game for this year to fill up they're open dates in their schedule. And so they're going to schedule another game against Tennessee Tech. And Middle Tennessee and Troy announced a home-and-home series for this year to fill up open dates. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, we're doing nothing. We're doing nothing. We, 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 we you know, have an athletic director. And guys, you, you know how notorious I am for, for the Jeff Comfort thing. And, and, I, and I like Gilbert. I'm not, I'm not knocking Gilbert. But I, I don't know what he's doing. Um, you know, we need we're, – we're going to play the season unless the state of North Carolina says we can't play because of the NCAA ruling last night saying that divisions can choose to play. They did not cancel fall sports. Now, that didn't directly affect FBS. FBS's championship is controlled by the NCAA. But what it did, it gave the FBS the go-ahead to proceed without having to look bad because NCAA didn't cancel fall championships. So that means if you're playing football, there will be FBS football. The only thing that may keep us from playing is if the state of North Carolina doesn't allow it. So we need to proceed forward at East Carolina administration, please listen, as if we're playing football. And if our conference mates are going to be adding games to play 12, like Navy done, like Tulane's done, if the rest of the conference is going to be doing that, then we need to be doing the same. Yeah, well, that's, well, that's the thing is that I was talking to Bubba earlier, and Matt, we had uh, Garrett McClintock on from the BYU 24-7 site a couple days ago on Tuesday night, and they had six games they lost. They lost half their season being an independent, right? And it feels like my thing is wow. right now, it feels like that we need six games, and the reality is we only need two. We need two ball games, and here's the thing: the way things are right now, just go ahead and say we have those games with whoever you're talking to. Just go ahead and sign on the, you know, maybe you haven't signed on the dotted line yet. Everybody understands that right now things are. I don't ever talk to anybody, Dave. 
I don't think we're talking yeah. to anybody. Um, the the what I would like, even if we don't play twelve, we need to play eleven. What if we're going to push that Marshall game back to the twelfth in hopes that we can have fans? Then I say schedule a road game for Labor Day weekend. Go play on the road. I mean, I, I don't understand what we're doing. I mean, we, you know, and, and I'd like some answers. And I know we reached out, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, John will be on the show here soon. Maybe he and will I, now. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe we'll get some answers. <laughs> but you know, uh, no. Look, I like John. He, John Gilbert's a great guy, but I, I don't like to sit around and be doing nothing. You, you either. You, you you never stay the same. You either move forward or move back. And if you're not moving forward and you're not planning, if you're not planning to play 12 games, if you're sitting there waiting, don't be reactive. Be proactive. Well, Matt, here's another and here's another thing, guys. Uh, and Matt, I'll bring you in on this too. As I was telling Bubba earlier, is that we've given we've been given permission uh, permission, thankfully by the commissioner. He made the right decision of having the eight conference games, eight plus four. Uh, basically, since everybody doing the math things now, uh, eight plus four. So the non-conference, basically that you can play 12 games. So since we have the permission to play the 12 games, um, which is great because we are a, even though we're not called a power five league, we are a power league. Um, it allows us still to play power five schools and it allows us to play 12 games. What if, oh, by the way, I don't think this is going to happen. What, what if there's, I told Bubba, there's a small chance. What if we have a great season this year? And they go, oh, but you only played 10 games when the other conference mates played 12 or, you know, other teams. You're not going to get in the bowl because you didn't play enough well, games. Most, or of the five, most of the Power Five leagues are playing 10 or 11, to be honest with you. But uh, the Conference USA, the Sun Belt, the only leagues that announce are playing 12 along with the American. Um, and, and if there's a good reason that John Gilbert is sticking with 10 games, that's fine. I just want to hear the reason. Don't don't just say we're we're I'm comfortable at ten. We're going to be measured with everything. I want to know the reason why we're you're comfortable at ten. Why are we staying at ten? Is it because you know is it a cost thing? If we're not going, if you are you concerned we're not going to have fans, so you don't want to schedule any more home games than you have to because you're not going to make any money off of them. That's fine. But then why aren't we going on the road? I think, you know, East Carolina fans, they want football. You know those coaches want to play as many games as possible. You know the players want to play. Um, you know, it's a shame. That I, we lost Norfolk State, I believe, off the schedule. Um, and South Carolina. And South Carolina, which, you know, not to get off topic, but I'm hoping they do come to Dowdy Ficklin next year as scheduled, as promised for many times now. That doesn't seem to ever happen. Um, Thank you. So we need to get South Carolina there. But uh, it's a shame that we did lose those two games. And I can tell you, those players right now, especially the guys who are seniors, that's disappointing. These guys want to play football. So we need to go out there and find those games. I agree. You know, and I hear and the um, I, I don't know why. They had some non-conference game schedule, but it appears they're still looking for, for their non-conference game. Is that right, Bubba? I'm sorry. I, I missed sorry, the first part of that. You're a politician. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I saw today that um, North Carolina seems to well, be all right. seems you to be know, looking we're for one. Yes. North Carolina to, to to get back on the schedule. Let's go tell them, you know, hey, we'll go to Chapel Hill this year and uh, and, and and beat your sacrificial lamb, if you will. And uh, you just need to give us a home game down the road. You just you know, we'll go there this year. You give us a home game it, it, sometime in the next ten years, 
And uh, that's the way to get them back on the schedule. Turn turn this negative into a positive. Get North Carolina back into Daddy Ficklin by by, be will, by being willing to go there this year. There you go. I think that's a, I think that's the big thing. We, we need these teams to come to Greenville, and there's been a real reluctance for you know you see it in the last few years with Virginia Tech now, you know with that series canceling. It's very difficult to get these teams, and our fans, you know, we deserve. Um, to get ACC opponents and and, and even SEC opponents into uh, Dowdy Ficklin. Yeah, no doubt. Very, very, very important. Yeah, we have the very fact. We'll get to your career in just a second, uh, Matt. Mac. We'll get back on track. But as far as the as far as uh, these talking heads on these radio shows and television shows, it, I'm really angry to hear. I want to get your take on this, and we'll get back to your career. Um, all these guys now talking about. Well, the group of five, this is a perfect time for them to break away. I'm like, no, we are a power league. And can you imagine, um, I haven't even talked to the guys on the air about this, but can you imagine not having North Carolina, North Carolina State, maybe one day again having Virginia Tech when things cool down, um, maybe not so many years in a row, whatever. But uh, there's a lot of schools in ACC and power five leagues that we would never be able to play again. Um, so that, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's, it's a shame. It's, it, it's crazy talk that, you know, you, you hear, um, you know, um, it, it's, it's, uh, this is a power, this is a power league. You know, you look at UCF, you look at Cincinnati, you look at Houston, Temple, um, South Florida, Memphis. I mean, there are good teams in this league. Navy. Um, this is a power football league. So, I mean, you know, the idea of breaking away is, is absurd and, you know, I just hope it never happens. But you can see the NCAA seems to be moving in that direction. Well, that's the problem. NCAA has no control over the FBS at all. They're, they're letting the Autonomous Five control everything and, and, and call all the shots. Right. Matt, earlier you talked about, we talked about guys like Willie Brookins and Walter Scott, um, but uh, Morris Foreman, uh, Rod Coleman. So uh, Emac, who we've had on the program, so much talent there in the mid '90s. Some of the best defenses East Carolina have, has ever fielded, uh, no doubt about it. So, uh, talk about some of your memories and uh, defense coordinator Paul Jett. Yeah, so <clears throat> my, like I said earlier, I was actually Morris Foreman's primary backup for two years. So um, I learned a lot from watching Morris. I, as a matter of fact, I was in. Every day in the film room with two of the all-time greats, Morris, uh, rest in peace, Morris Foreman, and also Dave Hart. We were in the same meeting room together, um, and, you know, Morris was outside linebacker. Dave Hart was a strong safety. You know, you talk about two great players um, that I had a chance to watch, you know, as a younger guy. Um, you know, th- those guys were, uh, you know, they, they were – Dave Hart would always bring the wood, as you guys know. If he had a chance to hit somebody, he would do it uh, as an undersized guy. And Morris was the type of guy who was just always in the right position. If there was a play to be made, he would make it. And, uh, you know, how many linebackers do you see that also return punts in college football? And he did that. more. I don't know if you guys remember, Morris Foreman returned punts uh, as a linebacker. So, you know, he was a great talent. Um, you know, we had a lot of guys that had, you know, went on to the NFL and, and had some very good careers, um, you know, and, and, and as a player, you know, it, it was just nice to be around those guys and, 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 you know, be a part of that. 
Yeah, like you're saying, Morris Foreman, I think he'd been, a, been an option quarterback at Farmville Central um, in 91, and then he came in as a true freshman in 92, was returning kickoffs, and um, later in his career, like you were saying, returned punts as well. I remember a game, you remember the 95 game up at Army, and I think he had three turnovers that day, maybe a, a fumble recovery and a couple of picks. I remember that well. He had an incredible game that day, and um... – that's that's textbook. You know, when you want to play the option, if you want to look at how a linebacker can play, you know, you go back and watch that film because he had a, he had a great game, and I do remember that. The number seven, you can't forget the number seven out there. Absolutely. Um, w- with that '95 season, um, obviously the theme was unfinished business because of the thirty to nothing Liberty Bowl loss to Illinois. Um, that previous season. So just give us a glimpse behind the scenes and the commitment to that mantra of unfinished business. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that first Liberty bowl against Illinois was, that was a, that was a rough, rough game. Um, they had Simeon Rice who was virtually unblockable uh, on the edge. And he gave us some major problems that day as he went on to give every NFL team, you know, for many years, major problems with the Tampa, Tampa Bay Buccaneers too. Great player, but um, that was a pretty humiliating loss, to be honest with you, uh, in that first bowl game. And um, you know that team really took upon it, took it upon itself to to get to work in the off season and to get better. And um, you know it's it's pretty interesting that we made it back to the same bowl game the following year um, and had a chance to play Stanford um, on a very I don't know if you guys were there, but that was a cold day. That was a very cold day. And um, I think Stanford, uh, I want to say they had the the, uh, the top offense in the Pac-12 that year, um, and they were more of a throwing team. And um, I think I think we got them in, a, in the cold weather. The defense played fantastic. And um, offense, you know, they, they did just enough, and we were able to pull out, I think it was 19 to 14. Brad Holcomb um, had games. Yes, he did. He did. Um, so – you know, it, it was uh, a huge turnaround, you know, and uh, you don't see that very often where you, you lose a bowl game and then the following year you go back and have an opportunity to win it. So um, that, that team was able to pull it off. On the way to uh, making it to that Liberty Bowl in 95, there was a stop in Hattiesburg, Mississippi on a Saturday night. And uh, what do you remember about that game? It's always tough. We play the Golden Eagles, always hard-hitting games. And, of course, that was the uh, – fake field goal penalty, then kick the field goal for the win. I remember that game very, very well. Um, the funny thing about Hattiesburg is that their stadium, the way it's set up, their fans are about three feet from the bench. And uh, I just remember getting heckled all night long by fans. Every time you'd come off, just getting cursed out. Um, th- those fans were pretty ruthless down there. Um, they let you have it. Um, so it was a tough environment. Southern Miss at that time was a, was an excellent team. Yeah. And when you played Southern Miss, it was a tough physical game. Probably the most physical team we played, in my opinion. Um, they, they, were, they were putting out at that time a lot of NFL players. Um, so I remember it very well. I remember the trick play at the end. You know, we were able to get out of there with a win. That was a huge game. And really, you know, honestly, that was a hell of a call by our coaching staff to call that play. I mean, that's, you don't see that, that kind of, uh, you know, call very often in college football. 
you know, fake field goal. The wind is, is rare. You know, one thing I don't think I've ever seen, and this is just a random football question for both of you guys, has either one of you ever seen a fake PAT for a two-point conversion for a win, like at the end of a game when they, you know, you're, you think you're sitting up overtime, and instead of kicking the PAT, you fake it and go for two? Seems like at some point maybe, but, um, yeah, it's certainly not coming to mind right offhand. Seems like, you know, that would, that would happen at some point. Coach Houston, if you're watching. <laughs> but like you're saying, Kyle and, uh, and Matt, uh, with that, with that fake field goal that Coach Logan, uh, pulled out that night, um, off of what, like a 49 yard field goal. And then we got 15 yards closer and I think it was a 44 yard field goal. And then it ended up being a 29 yard for the game winner. But, um, just unbelievable to uh, to fake it in that situation. That's the only time I remember a field goal really being faked that I can recall right offhand in that situation, you know, where, where the game was on the line. At East Carolina or just in general? I, I know it's happened, but I just – I don't recall I don't recall any other games uh, as much as I recall, recall things like that. Not at East Carolina. I remember one uh, Michigan State faked a field goal against Notre Dame for for uh, for the Vic a couple years ago with with D'Antonio. Okay, yeah. I, when I think of Michigan State and uh, special teams plays at the end of the game, I I think of um, the situation there there at the Big House when Michigan was punting, yeah. and uh, I, I told you I was on the way home from Greenville when we we're at our buddy's house, uh, Greg Burke and Raleigh. And just happened to walk in for a second to use the restroom and happened to catch that play before we hit the road. And yeah, we beat Tulsa that day. I came home and turned that game on TV to watch the last five minutes of it and was glad I did. But, um, but Matt, getting back to uh, your time, that 96 season, um, obviously um, that, that was shortly before we were accepted into uh, Conference USA. So just mm-hmm. talk about that, having such a stellar year as we referenced briefly early on, going eight and three and then not even be able to go to a, to a bowl game. I tell you, I, th- I think that might, that might have been our best team, honestly. I mean, that, that was a fantastic team. Um, and really frustrating to this day that we didn't have an opportunity to go to a bowl game because that was a, that was a tremendous team um, and, a, and, a, and a special year. You know, you talk about Southern Miss. Um, that season in 96, we played Southern Miss on a Thursday night ESPN game at home and just really played terrible. I, I mean, we just couldn't get out of our own way, um, and we and we dropped that game at home on a Thursday night. That was a painful loss that I, I remember very well. The no, Lee Roberts, week, was Lee Roberts that? Was Lee Roberts as the quarterback here? Lee, that's correct. Lee Roberts, yep. And, and uh, Jeff Bauer was coaching. Um, and I, I'll tell you, so that was a Thursday and I lost the following week. We went down to the orange bowl and played Miami and, and we were a, a big underdog Miami. I, I want to say Miami was number 10 or number 11 in the country. And, uh, they came out and scored the first touchdown. And after that, I want to say we scored about 30 straight That's and right. just really, really put it on them that night in the orange bowl in a big way. Um, and that's one of my that's one of my favorite memories, you know, from my time there. Those players on Miami were so frustrated that night. I'll never forget. There was one player. He was he was uh, spitting on on our players through his helmet. He was so frustrated because we were running on him, we were throwing on him, um, just just pounding the rock. 
with Scott Harley that night, I remember. And um and that was a that was a fun, fun game. There was a there was a pretty big party um back in Greenville after that one. Um uh, very very uh, memorable night. Got a funny story about that game. Um we were blowing out Miami, like you said, and in the fourth quarter I picked up the phone and uh, I don't remember what the score was at that point. It may, it may have been whatever the final was, 31-7 or whatever the final score was. And uh, I called uh, my stepdad, my, my former stepdad, and uh, he was in Durham at the time. And um, I, I called him. It's like, are you watching the East Carolina game? And uh, he uh, he said, well, we just we, we went out to dinner. I just got home. Uh, let me turn it on. And, you know, how bad is Miami beating them? And his response was, whoa, Miami is blowing them out. I thought they would at least be competitive. I said, Bobby, you're looking at the score upside down. He couldn't couldn't register in his brain that East Carolina would be blowing out Miami that big. He thought Miami was blowing out East Carolina 31 to 7 or whatever the score was. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of people around the country were very surprised that night. Um, You know, no doubt about it. I could tell you a lot of people in Vegas lost, lost some big money on that game, I'm sure. Several weeks ago, we had a, a watch party where we, where we re-watched that game. Did you happen to see that? Uh, we, we had Snoop Wallace, Tabari Wallace on, and then I want to say Danny Moore and, and at least two or three others. Oh, okay. You know, I didn't see that, unfortunately, but uh, I have gone back and watched that game on YouTube over the years, and uh, that was just a complete performance, you know, from top to bottom. Um, you know, that's that's the type of performance that – you know, you don't get many times in your career where everything clicks just right on the right night. And uh, that was just one of those nights. And, um, you know, I'm convinced that, you know, that that game, it was no fluke. If, if we had played that team 10 times, I think we win seven out of 10 times. I think that was a, that was a very good team that year. Yeah, there, there's been a couple times in East Carolina history where we were an underdog and, and it, it just it seemed like there was nothing we could do wrong. You know, that, that Miami game in 96, West Virginia in, uh, in 2009 is another one that comes to mind. Um, uh, UNC in, uh, in 2013 and 2014. Um, th- th- those moments like that where you're playing a quote-unquote bigger opponent and you just can't be stopped, it's, it's an awesome feeling. Yeah, that, that North Carolina game where we hung 70 was <laughs> – that was that was a pretty awesome day. Uh, you know, you can't really beat that, especially with the Tar Heels. So, I agree. Yeah, that West Virginia game in 08. 08, 08 I said 09. Okay, yeah, 08, you are correct. Yeah. Unfortunately, that 09 game was up in Morgantown. It wasn't as much fun. I think we lost something like 31 17. Uh, that was a game. That was, it was so frustrating. It seemed like we'd uh, get something going, get down to the red zone, and then get, uh, get, um, or stall out rather, but yeah, that was a uh, that was a uh, you're right. It was right after the Virginia Tech game, and uh, Bill Stewart's first year as head coach of the Mountaineers, and Bubba Grant yep. chiming in with the exclamation of Steve Logan. Yeah, and Coach Logan obviously had a very successful run, especially there in the mid '90s. But so Matt, um, we talked about it there at the beginning, but um, and we'll come back to um, your time after ECU here in just a moment. But what are we brought up some memories, um, some favorite memories of ours. But um, what are some things that really stand out just from your perspective um, and um, not not necessarily being prompted by our memories? 
Yeah, I, just, I think that was just a, uh, you know, like I said earlier, that was just a, a, a special time to be a, a part of that program. Um, it, it was really, you know, it was just some really good years. I was really fortunate to be a part of that um, during that time. Um, like I said, you know, um, at, that, at that point, ECU was recruiting New Jersey pretty hard. I, and I wish they would get back to that a little bit, but that's that's a whole nother topic. But um, so I was fortunate enough to, 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 to be recruited and come down there and be a part of that team. And, uh, you know, some of my, I'll tell you, my favorite memories are going on the road. I love playing in Dowdy Ficklin, don't get me wrong, but going on the road as an underdog. I think that, that was something I enjoyed going into places like Tennessee and playing against Peyton Manning. And, um, you know, we had a chance to play against some fantastic quarterbacks. You know, you look at, we played against over the span of two years, Dante Culpepper, Peyton, um, Mark Bolger, who went on to be an all-pro quarterback, and uh, Donovan McNabb, who I think, in my opinion, was the best college quarterback that I ever saw. Um, he was up up close and personal. He was he was a beast, and uh, you know he was a big guy that could he could run it, he could throw it, he could run the option, and he could run you over. And he also had speed, so he was, you know, he all the quarterbacks I saw in college, I thought he was the the best one I saw. Um, so the, a lot of good memories there played against a lot of great players and, uh, you know, had some big wins. What about, um, talking about great quarterbacks, uh, help me out guys. Was it, was it Redmond who was quarterback at Louisville in 97? Yeah. 98 or am I getting my years mixed up? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, 98. I'm not sure if he was there oh, in 97. Yeah. Chris Redmond. Yeah. I mean, this, a year late. Never mind. Forget I said anything. Yeah, that, I, that I, you're thinking that '98 game in Dowdy Ficklin when we lost six sixty three forty five. Yes, <laughs> trying to forget all, that one. All I can see um, is um, is our secondary and linebackers, you know, ch- chasing those Louisville receivers on those shallow crossing routes all day long. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I remember it well. Were, were you you graduated in '97, correct? I did, but I was still in Greenville at that point, and I was actually on the sideline for that game. Okay. And uh, that was that was a tough one. It, that was a tough day. What do you remember about the um, about that uh, Cincinnati game to close out the '97 season, where we were playing? We're not close out the season. I'm sorry. Uh, it was late in the season, in the rain, um, at uh, at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium on a Thursday night, where uh, Cincy had a pretty good ball team that year, but we shut them down. Yeah, that was. Uh, I want to say that was senior night. Um, which is always a fun night. And uh, so pretty low scoring game. Uh, I want to say that was an ESPN game. Um, that team that year, that 97 team, we struggled. We, you know, we, we never really could find a rhythm. It was kind of up and down. It was a very choppy season. Um, you know, I think I want to say we lost four straight earlier in the year. And I think we finished the season on a four game win streak. Um, and I think that was the last game I played in Dowdy Ficklin. Um, so that was a good win for us. I think that there was a fight before the game at midfield during warmups. I think our team got into it with Cincinnati, uh, right at midfield, uh, like 20 guys. So it was a pretty intense game. Yeah. Like you're saying, Matt, we, we were one in five to start that 97 season, then won four straight and then had the opportunity to, to, um, muster a winning season with a win at NC state. Unfortunately, um, Came up just a little bit shy in a game that really came down to the wire. It was misleading. It was 37-24, but it was 24-24. 
and State was kind of um, – they were driving and they, they punched it in. And then um, I want to say what – they either had a pick six or they returned an onside's kick for a score or something to, to make it look a little more lopsided than what it was. Yeah, Tory Holt, I remember, had a long touchdown on a, uh, a wide receiver screen. Um, he, he had, it was a short catch, and he, he took it to the house. Uh, that was a big play in that game. They kind of turned the tide, I recall. And, yeah. you know, that's always miserable. You never want to lose to, to NC State. So that was, that was a tough way to go out. Am I remembering correctly? Did we lead that game going into the fourth quarter? It, we may have, Kyle. It was, e- it was either um, it was either tied or maybe we did have the lead, but it was very close. Like I said, I think it was twenty four twenty four before that final sequence there. But I remember that I remember that seventy five eighty yard screenplay to Tory Holt that you referenced because that was he scored in the end zone right where I was sitting. I was sitting about the ten or fifteen yard line and. I just remember him making a move and then him turning on the Jets down the sideline. Just Yeah. Great, you know. great. Another great player, you know, Hall of Fame type player in the NFL. So no, another yeah. game was that 97 season um, that sticks out in my mind. Uh, we had a game at Houston at uh, their old stadium there that uh, was just an absolute shootout. I, I, I don't, maybe it was like 38, 34, but. It was like whoever whoever had the ball last in the fourth quarter was going to win. You guys remember that game? I do remember that, and uh, I remember there was a. It was. I want to say they were they were not in their normal stadium that year, and I remember it was a really tiny stadium we played in, and it was a shootout. A uh, lot a lot of points that night, and we pulled it out. Correct. Yeah, you did, and what you're thinking of, they had been playing in the. Uh, they had been playing in the Astrodome, and that was the first year back on campus at the old um, I don't Robertson, Robertson Stadium. Yes, and it was before they re- they, they were going to get ready to re uh, to um, remodel it, and just hadn't done it yet. And uh, so it was a dump. It was a dump that year. Yeah, and, it was. It and, was. Yeah, we won in an absolute shootout. That, that's a game, Bobby. You talking about games? I remember that game being televised locally. That's a game we need to find to to add to our archive. That was a fun one to watch. Yeah, it really yeah. was. So, I'll give you guys a I'll give you guys a quick story you might appreciate. Uh, when we played at Illinois, I want to say it was '96. We lost that game seven to nothing. Um, there before the game, our locker room had flooded. There was a flood in the locker room. There was probably two feet of water. So we got dressed in the tunnel, and we had our pregame in the tunnel. And to this day, I'm pretty sure that that was. Uh, not accidental. Yeah, ninety-five. Uh, that that would not surprise me. Um, I, I can't I can't imagine how the locker room would flood. I, I've been to Champaign Urbana. You know, there's not a lot of water around there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure there was something behind that. Yeah, because I I remember the game day. Um, just uh, I remember it was a beautiful day for football. Had, had it rained on Friday at all or anything like I. I I, mean, I think apparently it was a burst pipe, but I think it, you know, it burst because somebody, somebody took a hammer to it. Yeah. Burst pipe. Wow. But, um, Matt kind of shifting gears. Um, what did you major in during your time at East Carolina and just talk about what you've been up to since? Yes. Yeah, so I majored in communications during my time there. Um, 
you know, majored in football more than anything because that was that was my life during that time. Um, but uh, after I left North Carolina, I came back to New Jersey. I lived in uh, New York City for several years. And then after I got married and had my first child, uh, my wife and I moved up to um, Connecticut. Uh, my, my brother's actually a professor at UConn. Um, and my wife has family here as well. So we wound up, you know, we settled here in Connecticut. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting place to live. I do miss North Carolina uh, quite a bit. Um, I try to get back there as often as I can. I actually came back last year for the Gardner-Webb game. Um, you know, uh, I had to get back for that game. And, you know, I try to get back at least once every few years to, to take in a game. But I miss Greenville, you know, uh, but Connecticut's a decent place to live for now. Are you and Vince McMahon the only two alumni living in Connecticut? We might be. We we might be. I, I don't bump into uh, – Many ECU alum up here. So uh, yeah, that's why I was happy to be on the show because I get a chance to talk about ECU football, which I don't get very many uh, opportunities up here. Do you think Connecticut's regretting at least leaving the American by one year uh, right now with uh, having to to drop their football season um, because basically they were losing all their games? I'll tell you, I, I, you know, from the time that they joined the American Conference, it was just one excuse after another. You know, we, we they the leadership of Connecticut felt like they belonged in the Big East, and I don't think they ever quite accepted the American Conference. No, right. um, to, to, to be perfectly honest, and I think you know if you talk to the people in Connecticut, they really they value the basketball programs here more than football. You know. Um, Women's basketball here is, is, you know, top program in the country every year. Um, the, the men's basketball team, they've won four national championships in the last 20 years or so. So basketball is king. And they really wanted to get back into the Big East. But, you know, you just don't know how the, the football program can survive as an independent. They're not Notre Dame. They're not BYU. Um, so it's a tough situation. Yeah. And, and this year with, with dropping the season, it makes me wonder – if they'll end up dropping the program after this. I certainly hope not, Kyle, because when you live in Connecticut, you don't really have much else to watch. <laughs> you know, we don't, we, we don't have any professional teams here. We're right in the middle of Boston and New York. So, you know, UConn is, is what you get. So, um, you know, even though it's not the greatest environment for football, it's still fun to go tailgate and take in a college football game. So, you know, hopefully that doesn't, uh, Happen, but it wouldn't surprise me. It really wouldn't. I mean, they were financially in a lot of trouble as a as an athletic program. They were in some serious trouble. Matt, you talk about being able to make it uh, down for the home opener last year against Gardner Webb. I know you have a family, and like you've referenced, um, so were you able to make it to the the UConn game there late in the season? Um, yeah, I, I actually, you know what, I wasn't able to make it to that UConn game because I was I was out of state for work at that point, unfortunately. Um, but I did go to several of the UConn games. And I got to tell you that, you know, I have a lot of friends who are UConn graduates and, you know, um, it would have been very painful had we lost that game. They'd probably still be, uh, I don't know if I would have lived that one down. So uh, I'm glad we pulled it out. I'll tell you, we almost... We almost gave it away there on a long touchdown pass, which I have no idea what we were doing defensively, to be honest. But uh, thank God we pulled it out. Yeah, that was a frustrating football game. I remember watching that and 
Bubba, I think I was texting you the whole time going, we're going to blow this, we're going to blow this, we're going to blow this. Yeah. It was just one of those games, um, you could tell just the vibe you had. The, it was not trending in the right direction. And like you're saying, Matt, uh, yeah, that was mind-boggling, uh, the way we were um, playing a little too much man-to-man coverage. That, and that was, um, as soon as I saw the way we were aligned and what they were doing offensively, um, uh, uh, you could see that one coming from a mile away, and them getting that mismatch with their, their running back or slot receiver uh, on our defensive back. Or maybe maybe even a linebacker. Yeah, no doubt. You can see it coming from a mile away, but uh, it's it's a good thing we pulled it out. And I have bragging rights for another year, which is good. That's right. Hold with the big score, and then we get the pick at the end of the game to ice it. And uh, all you have to do is say we won. You don't have to worry about the score. That's right. Nobody nobody remembers the score after a year goes by. That's right. Well, Matt, it's been awesome catching up. Um, we. Uh, didn't really intend to go this long, um, well, well over an hour at this point. Um, most of these have not lasted that long, but we've really enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate your time. And um, we can certainly tell that you're still very passionate about the Pirates and follow the program very closely. We, we'd love to have you back on sometime for our Pirate football playback down the road uh, when we take a look back at the games. Hey guys, I really enjoyed it. It's, it's great to be, I really honored to be uh, on the program and, uh, Yo, thanks for having me. I'm always happy to come back anytime. So uh, feel free. Thanks, Matt. All right. right thanks, thank you. Thank you much, Matt. Take care. Yep. And, uh, Bubba, I uh, did not intend to involve Matt in uh, my rant, uh, but uh, he didn't seem to mind. I hope he didn't. So <laughs> I uh, was going to save that for after, but kind of yeah. is what it is. Yeah, that's what. And we're actually on 50 Pirates in 50 Days from um, a double dip today, I guess, if you will, and double header. Uh, we are going to be talking to Maurice Falls here in just a little bit. Uh, so stay tuned for that one and check it out on the archives and right here on Facebook and our YouTube channel. Our YouTube channel is pushing 200 subscribers now. Um, we have some excellent playlists with old East Carolina football games. I think it's right at 115 old. Pirate games, um, whether it's way back in 1965 in the Clarence Stasevich era or all the way up to present, uh, some of the games last year under Coach Houston and um, anywhere in between. A lot of excellent Pirate games that have been uploaded by by various uh, account holders there on YouTube that are diehard Pirates, and we um, we certainly appreciate appreciate them uploading the games and we have some that uh, you know we've been going through our archive here over the last few nights Kyle and putting the list together ourselves of the ones we have in our in our archives that we need to get on YouTube so other pirates can enjoy them yeah absolutely and uh, I would encourage anybody out there that, that has a collection of games reach out to me and or Bubba and uh, we uh, we're, we're interested in, in getting as many games on uh on YouTube as possible of uh, old East Carolina games. It's really awesome, especially when uh, <laughs> right now, Kyle, we've, uh, it's been a, such a struggle and, uh, pray for, uh, we're praying for, uh, good news that we can play football games and, uh, that we well, won't be like you. And I don't see any reason again, Dave. I mean, I don't see any reason why we're not going to play football games unless the governor says we can't. Um, you, everything else is a go now. Um, yeah, I think we're, I, I do think, I think we're going to, you're going to see, uh, around that time. And that might be why we're, 
uh, waiting to announce anything is the very fact that we couldn't play to maybe September 12th anyway. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, that's when phase two would be ending. I think you got to ask, and not just East Carolina, UNC, NC State, et cetera, has got to ask for an exception to play without fans. And I think it would be granted. Um, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be. You're allowing students to live in dorms. I mean, for Christ's sake, you're allowing 50 people in classrooms right. at colleges. So, I mean, uh, up to <clears> um, so I don't, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be granted. Um, and again, that, that particular part is not just on East Carolina. That's on all the schools in the UNC system that needs to be asked, uh, that that exception needs to be asked for. Um, yeah. Now I'll tell you what, from a, from a sample, what I'm making the political directive, if, um, if, if college football is being played, and the schools in North Carolina are now not allowed to play. Um, see that. I don't see that. That, that. That's going to be very, very, very bad. And, uh, yeah, that's all I'll say. No, I don't, I don't see that happening. It would have to be like a whole bunch of deaths, a huge uh, spike beyond belief for anything like that. Like I'm talking about thousands of people dying, at, you know, in North Carolina at the time, something drastic for that. I don't see that happening. I do think that. Uh, for example, um, shameless plug here for me, but on Saturday, I'll be announcing, um, along with my broadcast partner, Kevin Bullock at Southern National Motorsports Park. Um, there's only 25 allowed in the grandstands. Uh, you have a, you have the number of suites uh, there that the number of people are limited in the suite. Um, normally I think it's eight or 10 that's normally allowed. So it's well down to that two or fours. Now you got pit crews. So you're well over 25 people. So special permission was granted for Southern national to do that. The 25 in the stands plus, uh, the drivers, et cetera. Right. And they have uh, people, the fans along the track side, it's like tailgating. Um, so you have that, but I'm just making the point that in other words, it's basically no fans there. Um, so if you have, I know it's a small track and it's not, you know, 13,000 or whatever it be at Dowdy Big one, but. Hey, but my point is, Dave, if that, if that exception was granted for Southern yeah. National, then certainly it wouldn't be a, yeah, it, would be. it wouldn't be a problem for exception to be granted mm-hmm. to play football without fans. Um, it would have to, yeah, I'm saying the only way that we would not have football in North Carolina, it would have to be something uh, like absurd numbers to the, that would be obvious. Even you and I would be uh, like. Well, I mean, if that happens, then you're going to have the colleges shut down anyway. You're, right. you're not, yeah. So, to me, that's a moot point. To me, to me, if the colleges are open, you're going to have college football and class. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying. There's nothing. I'm I'm pointing out. There's nothing to worry about right now. It's a matter of the question is not whether we're going to play football. The question is when are we going to start. The question uh, then becomes: Okay, if we start. How many fans can we have? Uh, is it 25%? Of, you know, the percentage of fans as far as capacity uh, will come to mind as far as the, I guess, the safety protocols. And the- yeah, to me, what you do is you push the game back to the 12th of Marshall and you, you, you either, you, you plan to play, you, 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 you come up with the max percentage you're comfortable with now and you say, that's our max. Uh, and then you also plan to play it with no fans if that's what Cooper says. Um, and you, and you play that on the 12th. And then I'd like to see us schedule a road game for Labor Day weekend. I mean, what's people are scheduling left and right over the last 24 hours. Let's go on the road. I mean, look, 
let's go play somebody on the road Labor Day weekend and uh, get a game under our belt before we uh, before we do battle with Marshall, which is a game that's important to our fan base. Yeah, and there's enough and and there's enough people that need games right now. It's not like oh, we're the only one. In the, <laughs> it's not. It's well, like we're not the only school that needs a game. So before Dave, uh, Tulane and and Southern Miss announced they're going to play. Uh, Southern Miss filled both their dates. They're going to play at Tulane, and they're going to play a home game against Tennessee Tech to replace their, to replace their two games they lost. Uh, Navy and BYU are going to play in Annapolis on uh, Labor Day night. Uh, Southern Miss and Troy, excuse me, Troy and Middle Tennessee State have announced they're going to play each other. I believe a home and home. I believe Middle and Troy are going to play two games. Cool. Each other. Um, cool. That's a good, that's a great matchup right there between those two uh, programs and yeah, one being Conference cool. USA and one being from Sunbelt. So it's not like, and that's another thing too, is the very fact that uh, our good friend Phil Steele, by the way, folks, go to philsteel.com and get your magazine. We got it. Um, I'm wondering, um, with, with everything, it's almost like, uh, to give Phil credit, you know, and to not give him a hard time, but it's almost like Phil still needs to have like a dry race board for the schedule. So you can just write the whole thing. Yeah. We thought about that. If, if he could update the schedules and stuff like that on his, uh, yeah, the app. I wish we could do that. Yeah. Probably make some extra money. Um, I would buy it. I would definitely buy it. So I don't know that I would. The, the information is still applicable. Uh, except for the schedules. So, um, yeah, it's interesting to see, you know, and, and, and all I want from, from, from John is, meaning John Gilbert is if we're going to play, if we're going to stick with 10 games, I want an explanation as to why we're sticking with 10 games. It when, when I see other conference members scheduling yeah. games, Navy's in our conference, Tulane's in our conference. Um, and granted, there's some other conference members who haven't made any announcements. UCF, who needs, I think, three games, uh, has not made any announcements that I'm aware of. Um, so, uh, you know, it ain't just us, but, um, I, I'd like to at least add one game. Um, and I, and I don't want to keep, you know, just repeating myself, but I say, you know, why not, you know, if we're going to move that Marshall game back to the 12th, then uh, let's go on the road Labor Day weekend. Let, let's, uh, uh, let's find a road game, hopefully a road game that, you know, if you can, if you can do the North Carolina thing, um, if you can get a return date, great. But you know, maybe find something on paper that's more winnable. Uh, I don't know what Coastal's looking like Labor Day weekend, but hey, you know, I think they're probably going to be more liberal with allowing fans down in South Carolina. Uh, maybe the Pirates can make a trip down to Myrtle Beach for Labor Day weekend. Please wear your mask. Oh my God! <laughs> exactly, exactly. With the Hotbed, unfortunately, Myrtle's been, hopefully, I think I've heard, I've been told the numbers have come down. I haven't checked recently, so don't hold me to that. I haven't uh, checked the with uh, Dr. Bream or checked uh, on my own about Myrtle Beach here lately, so in the last two or three weeks. But hopefully their numbers are coming down, especially when they need tourism, and that would be cool to have their numbers way low for just them, even without the game. Uh, if we could get a game with Coastal, but if not, if just talking about Myrtle Beach as a whole for them to, for their numbers to be down and hopefully our numbers will continue to continue to go down, down, down. So that, uh, certainly I, I think the one thing that concerns me, Kyle, and we'll wrap this thing up. We've got another one coming up here in just a few minutes, but my, my concern would be, uh, for us is to start the season, uh, prematurely, then have to stop and start, stop, start, stop. So I think. That's the case. That's the case. Dave. I mean, if you, you know, look, to be honest with you, as of right now, 
if we didn't schedule any more games, if we play the 29th, we're not going to play again until UCF if we weren't scheduling any more games. So that would be a spot right there. That'd be yeah, almost a month in between games. Um, I would expect, yeah. I would, I hope by tomorrow, but I would expect at least by Monday, uh, the announcement on when we're playing that Marshall game will be made. I hope it needs to be. It's getting yeah. ridiculous. I mean, as we sit here this Saturday, uh, what is this Saturday? The the eighth. Eighth. So, I mean, we're we're three weeks, three weeks away. So um, you need to make that announcement if you're not that, that you are or aren't playing that game on the 29th. I don't see there's uh, anything's possible. I don't see them playing the game. It'll be September 12th. Most likely. I mean, you could yeah. play it. I mean, you could play it without fans, but I I, I think um, there's no reason to. Um, when you can potentially That's a special game. Well, it's a special game, and then that way you would have it would make more sense to believe on this, uh, wrapping things up. But September 12th, if you have the game September 12th, uh, for fans that don't know, Marshall lost the game with uh, Pitt, of course, with ACC, so they have that's an open date. You move the game to September 12th, and then you would have, um, when you the cool thing about that, Kyle, if you're a football coach like Mike Houston. And speaking of somebody that's about details and planning, uh, it makes more sense to have 12 games between uh, from that time, assuming that the UCF game will remain on, on the Thursday night on the 24th. If it does, then that will be only 12 games between 12 days between those two games. Sure. That makes more sense than to have almost a month. That is a plus you plus you. You also have a chance of maybe having fans allowed in the stadium. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe we would have the twenty five percent of fans, the close to thirteen thousand versus if August twenty ninth you might have none or you know the twenty five, which would be crazy. So anyway, folks, we'll keep uh we'll keep talking obviously uh daily here. Obviously you can find fifty pirates in fifty days on SoundCloud and we have it this year on Anchor. And of course you can listen to the sports objective or watch it anytime on Facebook Live. You can also we have it archived. On our YouTube channel, go and like that uh, and subscribe on YouTube. And we'll be back very soon here on the Sports Objective Podcast. Go Pirates! You've been listening to 50 Pirates in 50 Days on the Sports Objective Podcast. Remember, each of these interviews can be seen on our Facebook and YouTube channels or the audio only can be heard exclusively on SoundCloud and Anchor. Wherever you watch and listen to the show, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe. As always, we appreciate you listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Go Pirates!